on that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation is established as walls and ramparts. Open the gates so a righteous nation can come in, one that remains faithful. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. Amen. Good morning, church. So good to see you all to worship God together. We're going to study his word, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to that text, Isaiah chapter 26. If you're new here, we're, um, we're walking through this series called Life Verses, and it's giving us an opportunity week after week to look at rich texts from all over different places in the Bible. So we're looking, but not just seeing amazing passages and digging into what those passages mean, but at the same time, getting to hear and read in your worship guide stories of Brook Hills members whose lives have been totally changed by God's Word. And so the text that we're studying this morning was read by the person who turned in this life verse. Donna Coleman's life was changed. God just broke through and brought comfort and sustaining grace. You have to read the story that's in your worship guide before today is done. It's just an amazing testimony of God's grace in her life. And so we're digging into this passage um, because it was a life verse for her and a number of others as well. And so the hope is that we're going to look at five passages in this series, it's just a five-week series, look at five passages that aren't necessarily alike. And the goal is to, to turn it so that there's a different theme each week. I mean, we could have filled up a year of messages on the theme that we're on this morning, messages about hope and peace in the midst of trials. Lots of people turned in life verses. We could spend all year easily looking at different passages. But this is just one of the weeks, and every week we're changing it and turning it and looking at, because the hope is that we're gonna see by the time we're done with this little five-week series that God's word is so relevant for all of life. And we're going to see something of the power of God's word to speak to all of life. Again, our passage is in Isaiah 26. I'm just going to read these two verses in verse 3 and 4. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and follow along with me. Verse 3 says this. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. We, we don't just want to talk about peace, right? We want to experience peace. We need to experience peace. And here's the thing, we can't experience peace apart from the truth, that's really the premise underneath everything that we're saying here this morning is that peace, the peace of God is grounded in the truth that he tells us in his word. And we're going to see that in this passage under six different headings. So six truths to hold on to, truths that better hold on to us and bring peace into our lives as we're grounded in these massive realities. And so, what are the true things that we learn from this text about the nature of God's peace? Number one, it's perfect peace. 
It's perfect peace. That's the language used there in verse 3. And that is exactly the kind of peace that Isaiah's audience needs. So Isaiah is writing to the Hebrew people in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and he's writing at a period of time, so somewhere around 750 BC, he's writing in a very shaky, or it's about to be, a very shaky period of time, and it's shaky because they're watching their brothers and sisters to the north, in the northern kingdom of Israel, and there's smoke rising over the cities to their north, and the people are being carted off into exile. And so these are shaky times. It's a lot of stress. The kinds of things that even Isaiah writes to the people in the southern kingdom, in the kingdom of Judah, if you read the entire book of Isaiah, there's a lot in here that doesn't sort of generate peaceful feelings. There's a lot of tumult in the book of Isaiah, but even in the midst of the prophecies about their own eventual being conquered and their own eventual exile, God is throughout the entire book, he is urging his people again and again, hey, hey, trust in me. Look to me. I'm sovereign. I'm over all of this. Depend on me and you'll know peace. And he's saying that time and time again, threaded throughout the entire book. And that word for peace in verse 3 is the Hebrew word shalom. Maybe you're familiar with that word. It has to do with completeness. It has to do with wholeness or soundness. That's what this Hebrew word is. And it's described again in verse 3. Look at it as perfect peace. It says this. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Now again, that's, that's an English translation from the original Hebrew, perfect peace, those are our English words, but the Hebrew literally is shalom, shalom. In other words, a literal translation, it might sound odd to our ears, but a literal translation might be more like this, verse 3. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in peace, peace. It just puts those words back to back because repetition in the ancient Hebrew culture and world was a way that you would underscore the vastness of something. You would, you would underline that point. And so he's saying that in trusting in the Lord, we have not just peace, but we have peace, peace. It's peace that's multiplied. It's peace with an exponent behind it. It's, it's never out of stock. It's always in supply for his people, peace. So it's perfect peace. Number two. This peace transcends circumstances. Transcends circumstances. We can, we can experience peace from God even when we're walking through circumstances that tend to destroy peace. There are a host of natural circumstances we could imagine or you don't have to imagine because you're in them maybe right now that aren't productive, that aren't naturally yielding peaceful Feelings. You know, sometimes we say God's peace isn't a feeling. And it's important, I think, to add that qualifier that God's peace doesn't, isn't always accompanied by this, this conscious sense of warmth and security. It's not always accompanied by feelings that we, we know we're having. But I want to be quick to add, having added that qualifier, I want to be quick to say this. Sometimes, wonderfully, you do feel it consciously, right? I hope there are many people in this room, Christians who have walked with Jesus for, for some time, who could say, 
I've been through situations in my life that were horribly difficult, and yet I, I felt it. There was this reality, this, this soul-steadying power of God's peace that held on to me. It was unusual. It, it, as Paul says, it surpasses understanding. It didn't make sense, but I felt secure amid this storm that was going on all around me. By the way, the Psalms invite us to pray for that feeling, invite us to pray for that experience. It's not wrong to ask for me to experience peace. I want to feel it. The psalmist so often is asking for those kinds of things. So Friday, this past Friday morning, wake up early in the morning and I go upstairs, I'm going to spend some time praying and reading the Bible and I'm thinking, even as I began to pray, I'm thinking about members in our faith family who are walking through trials and difficulties, and we get, as elders, we get emails that come in throughout the week that are just updating us on things that we know are going on in the lives of members of our faith family. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm, I'm aware also of a family, close friends of ours here at Brook Hills who were bringing their daughter in that morning for, for major surgery. They had brought her in, she's seven, eight years old maybe, they had brought her in for this surgery not too long ago, and it was incredibly painful and she was going in for surgery number two and so they're on my mind and in my thoughts and I I pray the psalm of the day so it was August 31st and so I opened up to Psalm 31 and these are the words that jumped off the page from the first two verses. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me. I love this. A mountain fortress to save me. And I read those words and thought, that's exactly what my friends need. This Friday, August 31st, they need them some mountain fortress. They need this rock of refuge that God promises to be. I'm just praying that, Lord, be their mountain fortress, be their rock of refuge. Look, we should read the Bible listening for God talking to us because that's exactly what the Bible is. It's God with a microphone. It's God saying, this is what I'm saying, and he's saying it to our souls. And when we hear God through his word speaking those kinds of words to our hearts and souls, the Bible calls that something. What that yields is called peace. When the Lord on high, the almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, says, I'll be your mountain fortress. This fine morning, I will be your rock of refuge. It's him whispering words of assurance to his people. This, this peace transcends circumstances. It doesn't, doesn't always change the circumstances, right? That, that's what makes it peace that surpasses understanding is the circumstances aren't changing and yet how do I feel grounded right now? How is that possible? Tears in my eyes and yet I'm grounded right now. It's peace that surpasses understanding. So it doesn't always change our circumstances. Look, if it did, just think about that. If, if faith in the Bible, if faith in God guarantees new and improved circumstances, the psalmist wants a refund, right? I mean, the people in Hebrews chapter 11, they want a refund. The people here who are about to be carted off to Babylon, 
They want a refund because it didn't change their experiences. The, the Psalms, we just spent most of the summer in the Psalms. And what are the words that we hear them saying? In the presence of God, they're saying, uh, I'm restless. I can't sleep at night. I'm tired. I feel in turmoil. I'm wrestling with doubt. I'm struggling. Tears. Tears are my food day and night, they said, right? The, the original audience hearing Isaiah's words in this text Assyria is not going to come and get them. It, it went and it conquered their brothers and sisters to the north. God is going to keep, miraculously, God is going to keep the Assyrians from taking over the southern kingdom. But God is not going to miraculously keep Babylon from taking over the southern kingdom because they come next and they come knocking on the walls and the walls come down and they torch the place and set it on fire. That's why Nehemiah has to be, rebuild the wall later. The wall's been destroyed. The city is burning and the people are forcibly removed from their homeland. That's the audience that's reading these words. Those things are forthcoming in their history. So the peace better transcend circumstances because tomorrow we wake up in Babylon. That's not going to be generative, productive of peaceful feelings. Babylon doesn't feel that way to me if I'm a Hebrew. That was my homeland. He didn't even let me go get my wedding album. He didn't say, hey, go get your keepsakes. I'm, I'm, I understand. I mean, there are some memories there that you need. Just go grab your, we'll wait out here. Go grab your stuff. That's not what Nebuchadnezzar said. He pulls in. He, he whistles for everybody. He says, this place is mine. You're all leaving with me, all of you. We'll leave a few poor people in the town, but the rest of you load up on buses and we're out in five, right? That, that's, the, that's the sense of what Nebuchadnezzar was like. We need a peace that doesn't rise with good circumstances and then fall with bad ones. When it comes to our conscious awareness, our feeling of having God's comfort and God's peace, we are invited to pray for that. We don't need to be apologizing or shamed about praying for feelings of comfort, and we can be thankful anywhere and every time we sense God's comfort and God's nearness. But friends, God, God wants to do a deeper work in his people. God wants to teach us not to rely on our feelings, but on his promise. Let me say that again. God wants to teach us not to rely on our feelings, but on his promise. And that's what this piece is all about. It's a piece that transcends circumstances, even when it doesn't change them. Number, number three, it quiets the soul. It quiets the soul. So this peace of God described here is intended to yield the fruit of a quiet disposition, a quiet trust in the providence of God, a heart that submits to his plans, to his purposes, to his wisdom for our lives, right? That's what this peace is all about. My, um, my wife received a gift many years ago from a friend of hers, a friend of ours. At least I thought it was a friend of ours, but uh, the gift wasn't super encouraging to me, the gift that was given to my wife. And I think you'll understand what I mean when you see the name of the book that was given to my wife. Um, so the <laughs> name of the book is Marriage to a Difficult Man. And I literally asked our friend, and I said, "Why?" Why, when you're walking through, you know, Lifeway Bookstore, do you see this book and think, Paula Mason? You know, I, my friend Paula Mason needs that book. I mean, what do I have in common with that guy? 
right? I mean, look, how sour can you look? If if I'm Jonathan Edwards, I'm firing that artist. That is, he clearly hates me, right? And I'm even looking at our friend like, what what do we look alike at all? I mean, goodness gracious. But here's the thing, you know, whether that title is accurate or not, when you read through the letters and the writings of Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Edwards, you find out they had an awesome marriage. And one of the things that is really moving to me from church history is the fact that we have, there are recorded letters, and one of the letters that we have recorded from Sarah Edwards is the letter that she wrote the moment she found out her husband had died. And she picks up a pen, and it's fresh. She picks up a pen, and she writes to her daughter, Esther, and listen to this quiet trust. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. Listen to this. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God and there I am and love to be your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. That is what we call peace that surpasses understanding. That letter makes no sense naturally in this time in her life. And by the way, that letter was never read by her daughter Esther because her daughter Esther died two weeks after Jonathan did. This quiet trust in God's goodness, it quiets the soul for, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. The first three words of verse three, you see them there? The first three words, You will keep. And the you in verse 3 isn't you, the believer. The you in verse 3 is God. God keeps this peace for his children. You know how when you were a kid and you would travel somewhere, maybe you go to a carnival or, or something, and you went somewhere as a family, and maybe you won a prize while you were off, you know, or maybe somebody gave you something important, something you wanted to hold on to, you didn't, wanted to make sure you didn't lose it. What did you do? You gave it to mom, right? So mom's the kind of, she's the keeper. She, she knows where to put things so that she can produce it later on. That's, that's, it's just a gift that falls upon the mom of the house, right? Mom is the keeper, right? If we, if we brought up the, the purses of moms who have young children in this room, Right, it's a scary thought, right? If we brought up the person, we just started saying, hey, nobody knew this was gonna happen, we're just gonna start pulling random, you would just see the most random, odd things in these purses. I mean, there's a sippy cup, right? Some things that you might somewhat expect. There's a coloring sheet from a year ago. There's a, there's a dirty rubber band for some reason, right? But, the, but her son found that in this building this morning, and he wants to play with that rubber band later on. So what does he do? He gives it to mom because he knows later on she'll produce that ugly looking, foul, dirty rubber band. So he naturally gives it to the keeper because he knows the nature of how this works. How good is it? We look at Isaiah 26. How good is it to know that the one who keeps the peace that you need is God himself? 
He is the keeper of your peace. He never loses it. He never misplaces it. He keeps your peace and he brings it out again and again and he gives it to you over and over. He keeps it and gives it again and again throughout the Christian life. One of the things that, that our family has done at family reunions for years and years is we just sing together. And when Papa and Mama were alive, We'd, we'd alternate who gets to sit on the organ or the piano. We'd go to one of their church buildings, either Mama or Papa's church or wherever, and we'd turn on the sound system, and Mama would hop on the organ first, and she'd sing one, and Papa would be leading out, and then my mom would hop on the piano, and then I would, and then our kids, kids have gotten older, and then they would jump on the instruments, and we're all just sort of singing these songs, and there are ones that we can't not sing. We have to sing before we're done we have to make sure we sing these sort of classics. And especially when Momo and Papa were alive, one of the classics was a hymn called He Giveth More Grace. Anybody familiar with that? He Giveth More Grace. And, um, and the older Papa and Momo got, the louder they would sing this song. And the louder they would sing it, the older they got, the more the rest of us would just kind of be dabbing our eyes and trying to hold it together because they just kept singing this truth and it's such tender hearts as they sang this truth. Here's the, here's the lyric. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials his multiplied peace. Here's the chorus. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He keeps our peace and he gives it again and again. Multiplied trials, multiplied peace. This peace is amazing. It's perfect peace. It quiets the soul. It transcends circumstances. It's a gift from God. Number five, it's rooted in God's character. It's rooted in God's character. Look again at verse three with me and notice how it's featuring God as the hero of this story. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for... It is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. You hear it, it's saying the Lord can be trusted. The Lord is trustworthy. You can, you can confidently rest in his promises. Look, peace, peace in the Bible carries this idea with it of security, of, of safety, peace. You think about it in scripture. So scripture doesn't root our security in what happened yesterday. Maybe even more importantly, Scripture doesn't root our sense of security and peace in what we hope happens tomorrow. Scripture roots our peace and security in who God is and that that God loves us and cares for us and is for us. That's the anchor point of Biblical peace, it's not subjective, it's out there, objective, tethered down, going nowhere, peace. 
because it's rooted in the unchanging character of God. So change, whatever change may come, God is unchanging. He is immutable. There's no shadow of turning. We know what we get tomorrow in God because he's always the same. And he's always sovereign. I participated in a, um, a March for Life, pro-life rally for the first time when I was 10 years old. It was in 1985. And, um, and there we were, lots of, lots of believers from the city of New Orleans. We were gonna march through the French Quarter and the person who was at the front when, before we got lined up had a bullhorn and he was preparing us for heckling is going to happen. There are some people in the French Quarter who tend to not drink with modesty, right? Uh, it's sort of New Orleans. Um, and he said there might be some people who are angry. They might shout. They might curse. They might make threats. And so let's just lock arms. Let's sing hymns and let's walk. And so we lined up for the walk. My dad's closest friend, Ed Werner, was there. Ed is a Ed was a massive. Um, a massive man, and he was scary before he met Jesus, and still a little scary after he met Jesus. He was just the most imposing, intimidating human being I've ever seen. And the second and third most imposing and intimidating human beings I've ever seen were his two brothers, Augie and Mario. And that's really their names. I'm not making that up. That's just awesome. And so Ed and Mario, just size 16 shoe, hands like, you know, just huge, individual, and um, my dad told me, he said, uh, son, I'm not going to be walking with you arm in arm. They've got, they're asking some of the ministers in interdenominational settings to all be sort of up front in the front of the line, and so you're going to be back here, and instantly, I'm fearful. I just heard heckling. There might be drunk people running and charging at us, and I'm not next to my dad, and he said, but you're going to stand next to Ed, and that changed everything, right? There, suddenly there's just peace just washes over me, right? Because there's no safer place in the city of New Orleans that day than standing next to Ed Werner. And for my 10-year-old boy self, walking for that two miles, it was like two miles of being utterly invincible. That's, that's how I felt because I'm, my arm is in the arm of Ed Werner, nothing can happen to me for two hours. You know, just absolute security and safety. Why, why do you think that God fills his word with so much about himself? So many stories about his power, his strength, his grace, his love, his absolute wisdom. Every page of the Bible, every page you turn in the Bible is a page in the unfolding story of the undisputed sovereignty of God. That's the story that's running from cover to cover. God is in control. No one can stop him. No one can stay, to his, stay his hand or say, what are you doing? He's the potter. He can do anything he wants and no one can stop him in the world. Look, the doctrine of God's absolute sovereignty isn't there so theologians could fuss about it for centuries. It's there so you can sleep. It's there for your rest, for your comfort. It's there so you can know amid all the heckling and the noise of the trials of this world, there's no safer place in the universe than in the arms of a sovereign God. And that sovereign God is for you, and he's stated it in Jesus. The clearest language possible. He's commended his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is, this is so important. Hear, hear me when I say this. 
We don't get peace by studying peace. We get peace by knowing God, by learning his ways, his attributes, his character. Verse four saying, eyes up. That's God saying, look up here. Trust in the Lord forever because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. What in verse four is not naturally generative of peace? I love the last part of verse four in the original Hebrew because it reads this way. Because in Yahweh, Yah Yahweh, it's the most emphatic covenant name available in the Old Testament for God. In Yahweh, Yah Yahweh, and the, the Christian Standard Bible brings that over so well. In the Lord, the Lord himself, that one, the sovereign one, Yah Yahweh. You know, on Twitter, you may be familiar with them, the fact that when you're going to follow a, a big name celebrity, they'll often have what? They'll have a little blue box, a little blue check to indicate this is not some fake account. This is the real person. They're actually speaking through this, this Twitter feed. So that blue check says it's authentic. This is really that person. It's almost like Isaiah puts the blue check in verse 4. So trust in the Lord because in Yahweh, and here's the blue check, in the Lord, yes, the Lord himself, it's really him. He's there. He is an everlasting rock. He really is. It's authentic. It's the sovereign one standing behind verse 4. You think about that. Knowing God's word increases our confidence in God. Knowing God's word increases our trust and our confidence in God. In Brook Hills Kids Ministry, uh, one of the things that they do, well, they, they have these 25 verses that over the course of the years, they're trying to inculcate, get that into the heads and hearts of our children, help them understand these 25 core passages of God's word. And I absolutely love that vision for our children, grounding them in these big ideas of what God's word is. And one of the memory verses is Psalm 139. And I remember when our daughter Ellie was in Brook Hills Kids Ministry, we were reviewing this in family worship, reviewing what this verse meant and what it said. And, and here it is, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me your right hand will hold on to me. What has he just done? He has circumscribed the universe. If you go all the way up, he's there. If you go all the way down, if you go all the way east, if you go all the way west, he finds you, he's got you anywhere you are in his world. And I asked John Tyson and Phyllis Wright last night, I said, is that scripture still part of your plan? I don't want to say that that's part of the plan, and then you've pulled it and put something up, right? He says, yes, it is. He's enthusiastic. Yes, it still is. And, and here's what he said. This was unsolicited. He didn't even know I was going to read this, but I love what he said. Brook Hills Kids' five-year scripture memory program is one of the most important components of our discipleship. Our children benefit from it, of course, but so does our entire team. And then he says this, children may forget what we said and the exact lessons that they learned, 
but those 25 passages of Scripture will be embedded into their fabric. Yes, <laughs> embedded into their fabric. And I hope, I hope Psalm 139, 7 through 10, becomes a life verse for our children. I hope five years, 10 years, 40 years from now, they see that truth. Maybe when life is crushing and weighing them down and God's spirit brings this truth out of the archives and says, hey, remember this? I've been holding this one for you. I've been keeping this piece for you. Here it is. You need it right now. I got you. As high as you can go, as low as you can go, as far east and as far west. I've got my hands wrapped around you. You're not going anywhere. Oh, may God use his word to grant fresh peace, abiding peace. It's interesting. When we asked you as a church family to turn in life verses and stories that were attached, the very first life verse that was sent to us was sent by a woman who's 71 years old, and it was Psalm 139, 9 and 10. That passage has been holding on to her for a long time. I love this quote from Jared Wilson about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is in our struggles. He's there. There's no cavern so dark that the omnipresent spirit isn't there. There's no hole so deep that the omnipotent or all-powerful spirit isn't deeper still. There's no depression so dreadful that the omniscient or all-knowing spirit isn't speaking. In fact, it's in these depths that we see just how deep God's grace sinks. He finds us. He grounds us in this peace. And what is this peace? It's perfect. It's a perfect peace. It quiets the soul. It transcends circumstances. It's a gift of God. It's rooted in God's character. And finally, it's given to the humble. It's given to the humble. You know, in one sense, you could say that the safest place in the world is next to God, but that requires some nuancing because the safest place in the world isn't next to God. It depends on the posture with which you are standing next to God. If you're standing next to him with your fist raised, it's the most dangerous place on earth. To have a high hand against a God who is almighty and just and we are sinful. So we need to nuance it maybe this way. The safest place in the world is the place of dependence on the one who is an everlasting rock. Now we're safe. <laughs> we're safe, humble. Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility, Martin Luther said, it's like water. It runs to the lowest place. We're safe, humble. We're safe in this place of knowing the difference, the contrast between God's holiness and my sin. Having said that, this passage, it's not slinging peace in all directions, you know, indiscriminately just sort of slinging peace out into the world. You know, like if you go to a sporting event, and the people who are like generating hype and they come onto the court or onto the field and they have these little t-shirt cannons, right? And they're just a ch -ch -ch and just, it doesn't actually cock, but anyway, that'd be awesome. And they just sort of, they, they just turn it in random directions, just fire away and then his t-shirt just goes flopping 100 feet up into the, into the stands, right? And if you catch the t-shirt, you don't, you don't go and find the shooter. 
you know, and say, hey, thank you, you know, th- because they didn't intend to send it your way. That's why the t-shirt didn't come with your name. It's not like, Matt, how did you do that? It wasn't sent directly to you. It's probably not even going to fit you. It was not personalized. They just fired away and they got lucky. It hit you in the side of the head. You got lucky, right? Isaiah 26 is different. This piece is precisely directed. This piece has you in its crosshairs. It is exactly sent by God your way. It is targeted piece. Verse 3, see it again. You will keep, and here's the target, the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. In case we missed it there, for it is trusting in you. That's why it catches the t-shirt. Its hand was open. It was responsive. It was receptive. It was trusting in God's word. And here it comes. Here comes the peace. It's experienced by those who trust in the Lord. The, the dominant exhortation throughout Isaiah is trust in God alone. Here's a little sampling, Isaiah 7. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Isaiah 10. On that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no longer depend on the one who struck them, but they will faithfully depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 12. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust Him and not be afraid. Just constant reminder all the way through this entire book. In chapter 7, verse 9, 10, verse 20, 12, verse 2, 30, verse 15, 31, verse 1, 32, verse 17, 36, verse 15, 42, verse 17, 50, verse 10, 57, verse 13. On and on and on. It's just saying the same thing. Trust me, trust me, trust me. What's the point here? Peace is given us by God when we look to him as God. Say that again. Peace is given by God when we look to him as God. What does it mean for us? It means if you trust in the Lord, this peace is directed at you. This peace has your name on it. It is sized to your need. And you consider these, these truths about trusting God in his peace. You consider that in light of the one who is to come. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. We know Jesus Christ comes in the fullness of time on the scene. He fulfills these prophecies. prophecies. Isaiah said he would be the prince of peace. The government would rest on his shoulders. All that was about Jesus. And he shows up in the fullness of time. And he gets it done. For the peace of his people, he accomplishes his mission. But if we process Isaiah 26, and it's called to peace and called to trust, in light of what we know about Jesus' arrival, there is good news and bad news. The bad news is if we trust in our money, our health, our power, our influence, our beauty, our plans, we are substituting false idols for the real God. And that doesn't end well because we find out at the end of the day, hopefully we find out sooner while there's mercy, but we find out if not then, at the end of the day, we find out that our idols can't stand us up in the presence of a holy God. They can't rescue us. They can't grant us peace with God forever. Our idols have no delivering power. That's why God sent Jesus. The central story of the Bible, God sends 
Jesus Christ into this world. And he comes and he lives a perfect life and he takes your sin, my sin, upon himself to the grave. He goes through the cross, bears our sins in his body on the tree, absorbs the judgment of a holy God against human sin. Then he rises again from the dead and he offers new life. Jesus took our judgment. That's why we put our trust in him alone and no other. No one else did that. No one else accomplished that. There are no other rescuers in the world besides Jesus. No one else can obtain reconciliation between me and God. We were at enmity. And Jesus has made us friends by his work on the cross. We have peace with God. And along with this peace with God, if you trust in Jesus Christ, out of that sort of downstream of that peace with God is peace from God, the peace of God, an experience of peace. What's this experience like? It's perfect peace. It's peace that transcends circumstances. It quiets the soul. It's maintained by the keeper. It's maintained by God himself. It's rooted in his unchanging character. That's why it never moves. It's peace that's given to the humble. Look, Isaiah 26 doesn't offer peace to the morally perfect. It offers perfect peace to the humble. And that's such good news. It's not offering peace to the morally perfect. It offers perfect peace to the humble. It offers perfect peace to those who come to the end of themselves and depend on someone else. We know we don't have strength for this, but there is one who does, and we fall into his arms. We don't depend on our own strength or moral righteousness. We look to him. We depend on him, and we're safe. We're secure. We're home. That's the message of the gospel. There's almost a, a thorny aspect to this text, an uncomfortable aspect. And, and it goes something like this. We, we can't be passive in the fight of faith and expect to know this peace. In other words, if we're not reading God's word, hearing God's word taught and preached, we see these two things that are called, believers are called to both in the Old and the New Testament. If we're not leaning into God's word, it shouldn't be any wonder that we're lacking security and peace. It's found as we're trusting in him. Peace isn't the t-shirt cannon and we just hope it hits us upside the head. That, that's not biblical peace. Peace clearly is found in trusting in the Lord. If I were just one simple sentence that summarizes this passage, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, in one sentence is, peace is found in trusting the Lord. Let me put that slightly differently. Peace comes by faith. Now, follow, so there's this kind of logic here. Follow this. Peace comes by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And so if we're not connected to God's words, his promises in his word, it's no wonder we don't have peace. It's found when we're trusting him and he speaks through his word. That's where the peace is found. We don't just want to talk about peace. We want to experience peace. And said this up top, we can't experience peace without knowing the truth, which means what? It means you need life verses. 
I hope you have some. If you don't, you need life verse. You need to get down into God's word and come out with your hands full of verses, truths about God's greatness and character. I can, I can tell you people who are sitting in this room next to you right now, and here are some of their life verses. These are just a few. I wish I could read them all. These are just a few of the life verses that got sent to us in this theme of peace and trust. Just listen to these, and some of these might be your life verses. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Psalm 141, rather 144, blessed be the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for warfare. He is my faithful love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. Psalm 130, Verse five, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Psalm 27, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal and finally Psalm 46, 10 be still and know that I am God. Don't Read those verses in the abstract. Read them, and as you read them, think of God speaking those words to your soul because that's what he's doing. He's speaking truth to your soul. What is he saying in those texts? He's saying, I'm working while you're waiting. I'm working while you're sleeping. You don't, Mason, you don't have to fix this. You don't have to be strong right now. I'm for you. I'm sovereign. Your story isn't over yet. God is saying that through his word. He's saying, hey, Matt, it's Monday morning. I can keep the ember of your joy alive when all hell is breaking loose this afternoon. He's saying that. He's saying, you're not going to fall out of my hands. That's just not happening. You're not going to fall out of my hands. You need to hear God speaking through his word. Friends, the spirit of God uses the word of God to lead us to fresh experiences of the peace of God. It's all found in his word. Daniel Renstrom, our worship pastor, he uh, he brought out the big guns last week and we sang it as well. Right, glorious truth packed into that song. I can't sing that song hardly without being affected by the truth of what's there. And if you've walked through hardship and you're familiar with that song or maybe grew up in church, that song is probably dear to you because... One of the things that's so clear is you walk through hardship, you know the difference between singing it is well and 
it feels great. Those are two different things. By saying it as well, we're not tricking ourselves into saying life is awesome right now. That's not what that song is saying. It, It as well isn't about my feelings, checking in on my sort of internal state of feelings. It's about truth. That song is about truth. It's a transcript of somebody slugging it out in the fight of faith. It's what you sound like when you're fighting for faith and you're reminding ourselves in one verse and then another verse and another verse, reminding ourselves of these massive truths. Our sin debt is great, but Jesus is greater. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, right? My sin debt is great, but Jesus is greater. Our trials are heavy, but Jesus is with us. Hardship endures, but Jesus is coming. That's what those verses, one after another, they're saying this truth. To do what? To ground you. It's Isaiah 26, 4, with a melody line, set to music, trusting in the Lord, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is an everlasting rock. Brooke Hills, that's what I want for us, that we would be a people so grounded in truth, (laughs) So grounded in scripture, in God's word, grounded in hope so that we have this peace that God gives. He doesn't give peace to the perfect. He gives perfect peace to the humble who are depending on him.